Covenant Church. My name is Brian Jansen. Uh, my wife Natalie and I are covenant partners here at FPC. Um, so this morning we celebrate Advent by discovering the joy we have in Jesus. God keeps his promise, and through Jesus, God makes things right in the world. God's grace meets us in our suffering and our struggles and invites us to hear his word, trust his promise, and look to his word to make things right through Jesus. Please join me in reading Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is by the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Now please join me in, in the call and response printed on the screens. All, all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the, but the word, word of our God, God endures forever. Appreciate it, man. You can, I'll take that. You can. Good morning, everybody. It's a joy to worship with you this morning. If you could keep your Bibles open to Jeremiah 23 and actually keep your thumb in that, we're going to spend uh, most of our time looking at the Christmas story from the Gospel of Matthew. The verses will be printed on the screen, uh, but it might be helpful for you uh, to have that before you as we continue to worship the Lord in this way. Uh, we're, we're continuing our Uber Advent celebration, right? Extreme Advent here, uh, where we have crammed four weeks of celebrating Christ's first coming into three, because that's what we do. Uh, and we know, being confident, that knowing Christ has come again, that he will come again. So we celebrate the waiting of Emmanuel, the first coming of Christ, and we embrace with hope the waiting of Christ to come again. Today, we're going to see the joy that is found in leaning into Christ to trust him in a world of injustice, trusting him to bring justice. There is joy in justice when we lean into Jesus. He is the righteous branch, and the fruit of his work is, is joy. Listen, God's justice in Scripture is far too comprehensive for us to unpack today. It includes retribution. That is, he, he will deal justly with the wicked of our world and redeem all of the wickedness of the world. But it also, not just retribution, it also includes restoration. This is to say God's justice is restorative by nature, that he will renew the world as it is supposed to be, He'll reweave shalom as we long it to be, and he will make all sad things untrue. That is the promise of God's justice. And we long for justice in this world because we live in a world that has gone wrong. And you join me and everyone else, even Joseph, as we will see, in longing for the world to be made right. Now, we have to acknowledge what Scripture is clear throughout. There is a seeking justice that leads to the fruit of bitterness, a poison fruit. This is what Amos says in Amos 6, 12, all right? The invitation that we have in leaning in and trusting Jesus for justice, that he will make things right, the invitation is for us to feast on the fruit of joy. Now, we're going to unpack this by taking a really down-to-earth 
honest look at the story of Christmas, all right? The first place we're going to look is the tension of justice that we see in Joseph as he discerns what to do with the news that Mary's pregnant. Let's look here uh, in Matthew chapter 1. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, listen to this. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. You see, Joseph had a question of justice. Engaged to be married, Joseph was a little bit surprised, a lot surprised, when Mary was pregnant. You see the line right there, before they had come together. That's a very family-friendly way to say the biology did not align up for her to be pregnant. It was impossible. But God makes what is impossible possible. Things were wrong, and Joseph had an option to try to make things right. It was a court system of his day. The, the leadership of the elders of Judah had the invitation, the opportunity, the responsibility to hear cases in, in, in situations like this. Truly, the woman could be stoned to death, but rather than that, it says that Joseph was a just man, and he decided to use his system of justice in a different way, to divorce her quietly and, and basically make the problem go away. Now, this, this is a sense of justice that we long for, right? To take our surprises, to take our struggles, to take our pain, to take our problems, and just have them go away. That was attention for Joseph, and it's for uh, attention for us. We share this because we're all created in God's image. God is a God of justice. God is a God of righteousness. It is his very character. And we know from the youngest age, people have a desire for justice, right? It's, it's children who say, that's not fair. They can't get in line in front of me. It's not fair. He's got more candy than me. Her ice cream scoop is better than mine, bigger than mine. I want to stay up late too. How can you do this to me? We have built into our DNA this desire, this longing for things to be right. For God, the authority of authorities to make things right, to punish the wrongs. And we have options too. Options like Joseph to, to take matters into our own hands. But Christmas, this story is actually an emphatic invitation from the Lord to participate in God's plan to allow our surprises and our struggles, our suffering, to be redeemed by hearing his word, huh? leaning into his promise, yeah, and trusting that by his work, he will redeem all that he allows. Joy grows from this righteous branch that rules with the character of God. God makes things right in a world gone wrong. It's actually the exact context historically that Jeremiah was prophesying. Jeremiah said that a, that a root that will bear fruit will come from the stump that is Jesse. This is a, a prophetic promise that is made by Isaiah. It's made by Amos. It's made by Zephaniah. It is something that it seemed impossible that the, the, the tree of Jesse, which seems to have been cut, would somehow 
grow from it a righteous branch. Things in Judah were bad. The shepherds of Israel were corrupt. They had abused their authority and and their corruption had cascaded into all of society. There was no place where injustice was not found because the leaders of the nation were leading for themselves. In Jeremiah's prolonged condemnation, and it is a lot of chapters of judgment that is coming on the shepherds. He is joined in chorus with other prophets like Ezekiel, specific places like Ezekiel 34 to 36, that God will not tolerate the injustice and abuse of leadership, especially among his people. But embedded in that lengthy judgment is a promise. And this promise would be uh, keeping his covenant promise that he had made to David in 2 Samuel 7 that there would be one always on David's throne. And his rule, this branch of David, would be righteous and just. And the branch is an image. We're used to it. It seems pretty foreign. But if you've ever looked into a family tree in the roots, you understand the organic reality of talking about lineage. Some people say, well, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, right? This organic connection of lineage is designed to emphasize God's faithfulness to his promises, especially to David and his people. And the first thing that we really need to embrace is this reality of God's character being just and right, and the fact that his character is actually the foundation of his throne, that is his rule, is marked by justice and righteousness. Last week, we we reminded ourselves that peace is more than a personal feeling. It's actually that word shalom in the Hebrew Bible. It It is an articulation of all of the design of how God created the world to be. Uh, We've read from up front here before uh, excerpts from a book called Not the Way Things Are Supposed to Be uh, by Cornelius Plantinga Jr. And he talks about shalom as the, the webbing together of God and humanity and creation and justice and harmony and fulfillment and righteousness and delight. Shalom True peace is actually the way things are intended to be. It's a structured wholeness of God's design for his relationship with his creatures in all creation. So justice and righteousness are woven in to the fabric of shalom. And when shalom is ripped, peace is lost, injustice invades, righteousness fades, trust is broken, suffering surprises, friends betray us, corruption cascades, loved ones are lost, and disorder reigns. And growing inside of all of us is this hunger for justice, and defined simply this morning by a desire for things to be made right. We have this hunger in our hearts. But my question to you before we unpack this passage is simply this. Where do you long for things to be made right in this world gone wrong? Where does your heart hunger for Jesus to make things right? When God chose Abraham to be a blessing to the nation, all the nations of the earth, He told them that this would be accomplished in Genesis 18, 19 by Abraham teaching his offspring, his children and children's children, 
the ways of the Lord, that is to walk, quote, in justice and in righteousness. The rightness of life is, is a promise that's been for God's people from the beginning because it's actually what defines who God is and what he desires. This other passage from Jeremiah that I want you to see really brings this home. Thus says the Lord, says the prophet Jeremiah, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understand and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in all the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord." And we all have this temptation to make things right according to our own wisdom, our own might, our own money, our own resources, to look for justice outside of God's word, God's work, God's design through Christ. And we have an invitation to embrace the rule of the Lord Psalm 89, 13 to 15 describes it this way. Verse 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. This description of the Lord's rule and reign, it was the design that God gave to David that his offspring would rule in justice and righteousness, but David failed. And David, at the end of his life, when Solomon was born, he challenged him, 1 Kings Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Walk in the ways of the Lord and seek justice. Solomon failed, and king after king, leader after leader, was unable to fulfill God's promise to make things right, to rule in the character of God, the justice of God, to let the word of God guide them and keep the work of God central to their work. And this is why there had to be a promise of a branch, that from the stump of Jesse, one would rise and the fruit of his just rule would be righteous. You see, Jesus had to come. In a world of injustice, we know Christians, that Jesus will come again. That death is not the final thing, reality. It's a doorway into a new reality. That suffering is not the end of the story. That, that our struggles somehow are the bottom of the tapestry whereby God is weaving a redemptive reality that is more beautiful than we can comprehend. The promises of Revelation 21 There'll be no more death, no more dying, no more suffering, no more sadness, no more tears, that the old order will completely pass away because Jesus is on the throne and he says, behold, I am making all things new. This is the promise of Christians, for Christians, for those who anchor our hope in the promises of God. This is why we needed the root of Jesse, the branch to come but we still struggle with the pain of our lives, the problems of our world, the injustices and brokenness. How do we feast on God, the fruit of God's righteousness in a world gone wrong? We have this invitation to join Joseph through the promise of Jesus allowing God's word to reframe our world, to allow God's promise to be the bedrock that we build on and to trust that God's work will redeem all he allows. The branch gives fruit of joy when we trust Jesus as king and look to him for justice, when we look to Jesus to make things right. You see, Joseph had options. Infanticide was a real thing in ancient Rome. Joseph could assault justice. 
He could have had Mary stoned. But Joseph did not focus on the courtroom for justice of his day. Joseph Joseph allowed God's word to reframe his thinking, to highlight God's promise, and Joseph chose to make room for Jesus. Look at this. Uh, The story goes on in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 to 22. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Now, at this point, if I'm Joseph, I'm wondering, is it the pizza that I had for dinner the night before? Right? Or is it really that God's going to deliver on his promises? I'm wondering that after I think about this. The angel in a dream says to Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary to be your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. You see, Joseph makes room for Jesus by receiving God's word, by trusting God's promise, and looking for God to work the promise that God will make things right. We hold to this personally, knowing that Jesus is the one who saves us from our sins. He is the Lord, our righteousness, but he's also the one who will reorder and restore the world so that in him we all begin again in the new heavens and the new earth. But how? How do we trust Jesus for justice? How do we trust Jesus to make things right in a world that seems so wrong. Well, we have to trust God's word and God's promise. And we have to really believe that God will make things right. I want to do uh, challenge our paradigms by presenting a case study that, uh, look, I'm really nervous talking about. But I, I can't think of a better way to invite us into this tension. The reality that Texas is, again, In the national spotlight for court cases, we seem to find our way there all the time. Kate Cox is a mother of two. She was around 20 weeks pregnant when she found out just after Thanksgiving that her developing fetus had what is called trisomy 18. It's a fatal diagnosis. Seeking to terminate her pregnancy... Kate and her husband sought a court order to block Texas abortion bans from applying to her case. A judge ruled in her favor, giving her the exception for an abortion, until the Texas Supreme Court overruled the lower court's temporary restraining order. Kate Cox eventually left the state for her abortion, her abortion, and that is legal for her to do. Like Joseph... Kate had legal options that she could exercise to remove the surprise. And here's the reality. The cry for justice is real. The pain, the problems, the fear, the fracturing, they're not only visible, they're also tangible. The story is tragic any way you look at it. Used by the pro-choice folks as an example of why the courts need to stay out of the womb of women and used by the pro-life side to advocate for the life of every child, every heartbeat, and every moment. Are you nervous by me bringing this up? You're going to hear it again and again and again. 
because this case will be used on a national level as an example. The question for us as we worship the Lord is to understand how the story of Christmas specifically in God's word generally reframes our understanding of this really difficult reality. Our culture clamors for this to be resolved in the courts. Supreme Court overruled Roe v. Wade last year. It unleashed a torrent of turbulence and more court cases, more lawyers, more judges, more elements of justice, forcing us to ask, what does justice really look like, not only in this case, but in every case of abortion? Now, here, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying we don't need special operations people who are working in the justice system, in the court and political power corridors of our world. What I am saying is that Christians, as we worship the Lord in a world of surprises and struggles and pain and problems, we need to allow God's word to reframe reality, to to hear God's promise and trust that he will work to redeem all he allows. And rather than you hearing me, I want to read words of Brian Jansen and Natalie Jansen, who just read in scripture. Brian and Natalie, if you know them, they're covenant partners here. They're a beautiful family. They have three amazing kids. They just welcomed this year little Emmy to join June and Levi. And if you get to know the Jansen family, here's what you find out very quickly. They have a fourth son. His name was Ben. And when Ben was in Natalie's womb, he was diagnosed with trisomy 13, also fatal, also extremely low rate of survival. Rather than looking to the courtrooms of our day or the political policies of our world to take seeming justice in their own hands, the Jansons embody what it looks like to lean into Jesus, trusting that he will make things right. Their son Ben was born on September 19th, 2020, and he died September 25th, six days after he was born. You will hear the joy of the Jansons trusting Jesus to make things right in a world gone wrong. And uh, this letter that they wrote to their son, Ben, is impossible for me to read all of. It's three pages long, but I'm going to read what I have highlighted. To our beloved Ben, these are the words of Brian and Natalie. They sent me this, by the way, uh, just when I asked if I could use them Their story is is inspiration, hope for us. They sent me this. Above all, we want you to know that your life is one of the greatest blessings that God has ever given us. Your Your life has drawn us into deeper faith and a relationship with our Heavenly Father that we have never experienced before. Ben, your life and your story are a story of God's pursuit of us, a story of his redemptive love, his amazing grace, his sovereignty. When you came into our lives, we were leading lives of self-control, self-authority, and pursuit of fleeting things of this world. But God gave us you, Ben, to open our eyes to the beauty and the fullness of life with him. And we we are forever grateful for this. After a few months, uh, a few uh, lines of description, they go on to say this. One of the greatest lessons we learned through your life is that our powerful and loving God and his infinite wisdom does not make mistakes. He's meticulously crafted every detail of our lives. His plan is always better than the plans we make for ourselves. 
And there is insurmountable peace in resting in that truth. We realized at that time, they describe a little bit of the situation to Ben, that although these were not the circumstances we would have chosen for you or our family, the one thing we could control was how we responded to them. We could let them grow or diminish our faith. Thankfully, God moved us to cling to our faith and to trust that though our journey, through our journey with you, he is molding and shaping us into the children that he created us to be. The letter goes on and says, Ben, this moves me every time. The days that we spent at home together as a family were the most memorable, joy-filled, hardest days of our life. We celebrated your life every day with birthday parties. We took you to the neighborhood nature trails where we had previously spent countless hours in prayer for you. We read books to you. We looked at the stars together. You reminded us of the brevity, fragility, and uncertainty of life. You reminded us that none of us are guaranteed another day, and when we Shouldn't, and, and we shouldn't wait for tomorrow to give ourselves to what God is calling us to do in the short time here. Even in our toughest moments together, you reminded us that God wasn't asking us to walk the road alone. And it was in these moments we truly realized not only how much we need him, but that, but that we're created to live in full dependence on him. It's only here that we can fully experience his greatness. Ben, your life has been an invitation to love the way we've been loved by our Heavenly Father, selflessly and completely unaltered by our imperfections. And it concludes this way. Then God gave us you to change our family forever. Being your parents has been the greatest honor of our lives. And today we celebrate how beautiful the gift your life was. You have shown us that it doesn't matter how long we're on this earth. All that matters is how we choose to live while we're here. And ultimately, we were not made for this world. Our true home is in eternity with Christ. We can't wait for the glorious day when we will be reunited with you there. You feel it? That's hope. That's hope. That's hope that the wrong things of this world, though we don't understand them, can be made right when we lean in to Jesus. Christians have the opportunity to believe the promises of God and the word of God evidenced in the work of God in Jesus Christ. Truly, all sad things are made untrue in him. In the surprising, suffering struggles of our life can bear fruit of joy. With Jesus' brother James, we can count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds. God's sovereign grace uses the wrongs of this world to make things right. The past couple of weeks have been humbling to me I've run into two people that have 
demonstrated this in line with exactly what we're applying today. The first was a church planner in our city who was telling me a story, and he told me that he uh, was a product of a, a surprise teenage pregnancy. His mom was 16 years old, and she was discouraged not to deliver. She held on to the promise of God, the word of God, trusted the work of God, and now her son's planting a church in our city. And then, just a few days later, I was eating with another guy, hearing his story, also going to plant a church in our city. And he was a product of something even worse. His mom got pregnant in a way that I will not describe with kids in the room. But you can know it is the worst possible way to get pregnant. His mom decided to keep the baby. In raising her son, he came to know Christ as his Lord and Savior. And now he's called by Christ next year to plant a church in San Antonio. Last service, we had the English family in here. Little baby Isabel, born with Down syndrome. Total surprise. Through her life, just over a year old, they're starting a new school, Rise School, for children like Isabel. And all of us could go through and talk about how, how places in our world where it's suffering and struggle and surprises that we just don't understand the bottom of the barrel of life in a fallen and fractured world, how can God make things right? And somehow, this baby that was born in Bethlehem grew up to bear our sins and to take the curse so that we can be made right with him and we can know that he will make things right in this world. Jesus Christ was born to a teenage girl so he could die in my place and yours, so that by his rule, the branch could establish justice and make things right. And the fruit of righteousness would grow from all who totally trust in him, allowing the word of God to reframe whatever situation we have, knowing that the promise of God has been accomplished and it will be accomplished, and that the work of God will go forward. The invitation for the people of God is to trust him. This is why Christians are unique in every area of brokenness. This is why we run to brokenness to bring life. This is why we grieve at funerals with hope. Because our Savior is one who not only looks at death and laughs, but he defeated death. He took the victory of death. He took the sting of death so that death, what is a grave of loss and grief for people who do not know him, is a doorway of hope for everyone who believes. It's not the end of the story. There is an eternity in Christ where we will see how everything is worked for his glory. That's the invitation for us to find joy by trusting Jesus for justice. He will make things right. He will come again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Son of David, we love you. We thank you that there is joy for the world, that your work goes as far as the curse is found. We believe and we ask you to help us with our unbelief. We have heavy hearts. Lord, we have heavy hearts. And we live in a fallen and fractured world, but we thank you for uh, the invitation of Joseph, the, the example of the Jansons, and the opportunity that Jesus gives us that no matter where we are or what we've done, we can come to you and lean into you to make things 
right. King Jesus, we love you, we thank you, and we pray that you would grow righteousness from the ground of our hearts uh, and that you will establish justice. We trust you to make things right. We believe, but help us with our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray, all God's people said, amen.